you know, the main thing I hope that listeners to your show think about in terms of the next gen banker is that you have to go faster. Don't spend three years trying to figure out, you know, what to do. Start doing it. Technology change, as we said, moves exponentially. It has, you know, COVID has taught us this harsh lesson of what an exponential curve looks like with that big hockey stick shape to it. And I worry about the institutions that get caught underneath that curve when it starts to turn vertical, whether they'll ever be able to catch up. You have to be doing this now. It's the most urgent issue for every bank, in my opinion, and for the regulators. Welcome to the NextGen Banker Podcast, where we explore what's next in banking and talk to the innovators responsible for creating positive change in the financial sector. I'm your host, David Ryling, and I'm very excited and uh, to welcome Joanne Barefoot as our guest today. Joanne, thanks for being a guest on the NextGen Banker. Yeah, thank you for having me, David. So, Joanne, I, I want to have a, a little fun with your intro today. Um, because I think there's really two sides into this intro. One being you are known certainly in the United States and in North America very well and globally to that effect. But for those who don't know, maybe I'll start out with a little more traditional and give some highlights of your background. You are the co-founder of AIR, the Alliance for Innovative Regulation, a nonprofit dedicated to digitizing the financial regulatory system to advance fair finance and to foster innovative and resilient financial sector and to combat financial crimes like human trafficking. Uh, you are the former deputy comptroller of the currency and staff member to the U.S. Senate Banking Committee, a fellow emerita at the Harvard Kennedy School Center for Business and Government. You uh, host a global podcast called Barefoot Innovation. You wrote a seminal paper, a RegTech Manifesto, um, you advise uh, numerous regulatory bodies and speak annually to thousands of people throughout the world. And in 2020, you were inducted into the FinTech Hall of Fame by CB Insight. So very impressive, uh, illustrious career. But the thing that I'm really interested in and amazed by to learn about you is you're an adventurer, a lover of a good challenge and people and things that are maybe a little unusual or different. And that to me is fascinating because I think I want the world to know that being in compliance and regulation in, a, in an industry like that has tons of adventure, has tons of entrepreneurship and innovation that can be had. And so the other part of Joanne is you've raised three amazing kids. You fly fished on five continents. You've searched for wolves in the Arctic, crisscross Alaska in small planes. You've been on leprosy colonies in India. You've started several businesses as an entrepreneur. You've written two novels, which have won national recognition. This one to me is, you've solo camped on a mountain, no tent while fasting. Now, that internal challenge just fascinates me. You have a passion for artists and rebels and inventors and unconventional people. You've beaten health challenges. You're a fearless adopter of technology. So, Joanne, tell us a little bit about the adventurous side of you. Where does that come from? <laughs> well, first, thank you so much for having me on your fantastic show. And uh, I have also had you as a guest on my show, uh, which was wonderful. I think maybe some of my 
risk-taking nature comes uh, in the DNA. Both of my grandfathers were entrepreneurs and my father was a real pioneer in both the helicopter and the wind en uh, industry. My great, great uncle invented the player piano and so on. So, you know, that I came by all that. But honestly, I've just learned in my life that if you want to do work that's meaningful and high impact, you just need to break out of the silos and the regular, you know, linear pathways that people stay on and do things that are different and develop both your right and your left brain. And uh, I do like to challenge myself. So um, thank you for <laughs> sharing some of those, some well, of those pictures. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think you bring up a really valuable lesson here for the next generation of bankers and what's needed and, and really for people in any career. And that's the ability to know yourself and know your limitations or test them. And again, development of that whole person, if you will, uh, of the right and the left brain of both the technical and the analytical, as well as the artistic and creative side. Um, I think that is one thing that allows people to uh, innovate and adapt to the, the multitude of changes that we that we face today. Don't you think it's even become essential today that you can't move fast enough if you stay in a straight line? You just have to be talking with people who are doing different things and it accelerates your learning. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I like you, I think in this in the seeking adventure is a really it's a learning adventure every time you do one of these types of things. And uh, I have a saying about volunteering as I was, I volunteer to go help somebody else, but I end up learning more about myself in the process. Yeah. And so um, I would agree if you're younger in your career, try different things, um, stretch that brain, both, you know, as well as the mental and the physical and almost the spiritual side of it uh, when you do some of these things. So, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, Joanne, uh, as we talk about banking and financial services and change in the ability to adapt, digitizing regulation, a big part of what you talk about. And uh, I think our, our mutual friend or colleague, Brett King from Breaking Banks, in his book, uh, Banking 4.0, you know, he'll talk about uh, banking or finance being embedded into products and services, um, that there's almost just real time, it's in engaged in the products and services we buy. So what has to happen from a regulatory standpoint or regulation to kind of meet this instant and transparent financial services delivery? How do you kind of envision that? Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, I'm a former regulator myself and it's no one's fault, but it's nevertheless true that the, regulate, the regulatory system and agencies are built to be deliberative, thorough, careful, slow, we want all that, but it does make them slow. And they're gonna have to speed up in this environment. Uh, culturally, it's gonna be a big challenge, although they're well on their way. All of them are really, really in motion on changing how they uh, use technology. But I do think that the, the foundational layer that's gonna be needed is that we're gonna have to digitize the information that both the industry and the regulators are using. Right now, everything we do in both finance and financial regulation was originally designed on paper. It's linear, you know, it's been sped up through some automation, but it's still got that same design. 
And it's because there didn't used to be enough information or computing power to do more than what we've been doing. But today we've got abundant yep. data and computing power. So we need to position the regulators and the risk managers and leaders in the institutions to be able to have all the information they need with appropriate limits and governance, obviously, but they should have complete data sets, not little samples. They should have access to the, the big pools of data and not just summary reports. They should have immediate information, not quarterly call reports or annual, you know, UMDA reports or whatever. And uh, so that is the work that we see. And the regulators need to do this for two reasons. One is to keep up with the change in the industry because it's changing as we know at an exponential pace. And also just to do better on the old, tough, intractable problems that we've never been able to solve in financial inclusion, inclusion in fairness, in catching crimes like human trafficking, you know, the, the technology and the data are going to enable us to do better than we've ever done before, you know, even if the industry held still, which it won't. Yeah. So um, if I had to interpret what you're saying is, can you see a, a time where a bank, actually it's, it's data stream um, is fed into the regulators in a real time or packaged up in a, in a data set in which gets pushed to a regulator in which they can run analysis on and again it's it's instant or real time to almost a certain degree that these programs and ai are are analyzing and running and both the bank and the regulator are almost in lockstep in terms of alerts or things to be aware of is it that fast that is it that's the future and people all over the world are already working on this uh the people use the word digital regulatory reporting the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK has taken the lead. The FDIC has a project to modernize the call report. I was a judge in the G20 tech sprint on digital regulatory reporting last year. And it's got the ability to enable both the government and the private sector risk managers to see risks as soon as they're emerging. And then it also has the benefit to the industry of driving down costs. The FCA in the UK has estimated that if they move to full digital regulatory reporting for appropriate types of activities, it would save billions of pounds for the UK banks. So um, it's really a win-win and um, it's not easy to get there from here, but the tech already exists. We just have to figure out how to convert to it. Got it. And so in that scenario and vision, it, I mean, the, the world of having an on-site regulatory exam sees, seems irrelevant or unnecessary. It, it, would that be the case as well? Well, we would go more there. I mean, most of the regulators will tell you they really like to look people in the eye from time to time and they learn by just, you know, kind of picking up the environment when they're there. But we would need way less of that. Yeah. And and the regulators would have the ability to really be home, home homing in on the issues that they need to pay attention to because as you just said they'll have all this data, they'll run AI on it and um, they'll know where the likely risks are. If we had had a system like this before the Great uh, Recession and the financial crisis, uh, we might have been able to see those trends. The, the regulators, they have blind spots. They can't see most of what's going on. 
So they didn't see the contagion until it was too late. Yeah. So, you know, just tremendous opportunity to do that. And yeah. one more thing, huge benefit for the industry. Think about how much of the compliance cost and difficulty for banks comes from the accumulation of noncompliance or risk that isn't being found enough, early enough, and then the bank has to undertake a big project to go back. They have to pay fines. They have, if we have a system where you can nip that right in the very first instance, find the mistakes, find the noncompliance, catch the risk trends early, it's transformative for the just operating a bank in a smart way. Yeah, absolutely. And while it may be baby steps, given the pandemic, uh, I mean, we uh, have had our first exam fully uh, digital and remote, um, just due to the yeah. pandemic. And so we're we're warming up for this transition, and hopefully we can accelerate it and, and move it forward. Now, if I could take you a little bit down the road, you you had uh, mentioned uh, one of your relatives, your grandfather, in wind and en- wind energy. So I, I'm a I'm a maybe not a closet tree hugger, but I'm a tree hugger banker when it comes to climate change and uh, and carbon. And so. Do you see anything in the regulatory schemes or conversations being had around climate um, on how finance and banking, if you will, fits into maybe uh, a a greener but a more uh, renewable uh, energy and environment regimen? Yeah, that was my father. Uh, I actually have a podcast with him. He was an amazing inventor and innovator. So the new administration and the new Congress are very much prioritizing uh, climate um, issues and green energy and the agencies, as you know, the White House, the Treasury Department are appointing climate leaders and so on. So we're going to see a great deal of this. There are three issues that the bank regulators or the financial regulators broadly are looking at. The first one is what are the potential risks to the system arising from climate risk? Are there, are, there, are there geographic areas? Are there industry sectors and so on that may become more risky to lend to or invest in? As we tackle that one, there's a lot of concern about making sure that we don't, we don't repeat some of the de-risking strategy that we've seen in anti-money laundering, where as the the big U.S. banks in particular pulled back from potential AML exposure. They cut off a lot of innocent people who were not money launderers, right? In some cases, whole countries or whole industries have been impacted by that. So there's a lot of concern about how to do this in a way that will not be worsening the problem that many people already have with getting access to credit. The second area is um, a lot of interest in how to be sure that the market works well as companies increasingly make claims to be green. Sure. Um, and the there's a lot of evidence that millennials in particular, our largest generation ever, are very um, uh, interested in making purchasing and, and employment decisions based on factors like that. And so I think uh, we are working at AIR on a number of uh, initiatives that would be helping with this question of how do you 
be sure that people aren't, you know, you've heard the term greenwashing, yep. people just claiming that there's very green, but how do you measure it? How do you prove it? Should there be standards? So there's a tremendous amount globally on that. The last one is the, um, the fact that cryptocurrency is going mainstream, which I myself think is a very good thing uh, if properly done and regulated. And um, we do know that some of the mining, the, the so-called mining of um, some of these currencies is incredibly energy intensive. So there are efforts underway there too, to figure out how to, uh, how to offset that, or offset good. it or change it more basically. Okay. Yeah. You know, there's one other thing that uh, we've been involved in, and that's uh, called PCAF, the Partnership for Carbon Accounting and Finance, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so just another resource um, for our listeners to take a look at if they're interested as to how how the actual counting, if you will, for carbon um, in a loan portfolio, if you will, or in a financial institution is, is starting to take shape. Yeah. So as we think about climate and its effects, and maybe we've seen you know, some of the more extreme weather conditions, and we think of Texas, if you will, uh, the impact of those are really most affected by those individuals and people who are the least resilient. In a lot of cases, that is folks who um, are in the low and moderate income specter. So as we think about kind of a, a fair banking system, how do we think of that from, you know, I'll say the, the regulatory scheme, but also the digital regulatory scheme? What do we have to be aware of there to have a fair and inclusive uh, financial system? Yeah. So I am a tech optimist. I'm clear-eyed about all the many problems that tech brings us uh, all the time and all the risks ahead. But nevertheless, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is that in about 2014 or so, I began really immersing in technology. And while I was at my fellowship at Harvard, researching the, the um, innovation in the financial sector, I really had an epiphany that these technologies can accomplish the dream that so many of us have had for our whole careers of truly fair and inclusive financial systems that can be that everyone can use and that and where products are understandable and where they're as affordable as possible and where people can qualify easily uh, even if they have a complicated situation or don't have a credit score uh, because the data will be there. So we don't have time in the show to kind of go through that. But if we talked about all the things that cause problems for people in the financial system, yeah. I've got a technology solution for every one of them that I could list. So then the question becomes, how do we make that happen? How do we accelerate it? And how do we regulate it to guide it? I mean, one area I would point to that I think is so promising, and I know you know my colleague, Melissa Coide at FinRag Lab. Yeah. Um, I was the chair of that board. Um, I'm still on the board. And um, so they are doing research on how can we use alternative kinds of data in credit underwriting to uh, to help people who are so-called credit invisibles and don't have a credit history and a credit score, help them qualify if, if they really can repay the loan. And it's an area that needs research. And so FinRag Lab has been doing objective research first on cash flow underwriting and now on AI-based underwriting. And you know the early findings are so promising that it's both equally to or even more predictive of risk to use these additional data, especially combined, uh, but 
but also much, much more inclusive. So it's methods like that. And it's also just delivering services through the mobile phone. Globally, people who are working in emerging markets have built their whole strategies for financial inclusion around the fact that the mobile phone is in the process of reaching everyone. And once you've got it, you've got a bank branch in your hand and it becomes possible to have a low cost but profitable distribution system. So bankers who are listening to this, you know, I think they need to be really thinking hard about mobile first strategies that are going to appeal to younger people and to, you know, people like me who I'm not young anymore, but I'm uh, I'm digitally first on everything. And um, that's the future for sure. Yes. Well, I, I, we share the same promise of of fintech and fintech for good, if you will, yeah. um, and, yes. and also the power of data to make things inclusive and, and make financial services accessible and convenient and easy to use and at a fair price. I, I think, you know, that the effective and efficiency of of using data and fintech and technology really to um, to make a system that is delivered on your phone is is the promise of an inclusive financial system. So very cool. Can I say one last thing? Are you getting ready to wrap us up? I have one more thing, but yeah, go ahead. You can say one last thing. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, if I have one message for bankers, and especially community bankers, who I've been very worried about being disadvantaged in this technology environment, we're going to have to solve that, and we're doing some work on that at AIR. But, you know, the main thing I hope that listeners to your show think about in terms of the next-gen banker is that you have to go faster. Don't spend three years trying to figure out, you know, what to do. Start doing it. Technology change, as we said, moves exponentially. It has, you know, COVID has taught us this harsh lesson of what an exponential curve looks like with that big hockey stick shape to it. And I worry about the institutions that get caught underneath that curve when it starts to turn vertical, whether they'll ever be able to catch up. You have to be doing this now. It's the most urgent issue for every bank, in my opinion, and for the regulators. Yeah, and uh, I I would put an exclamation point on that as well. I, I think um, inaction is the inability to adapt. And if there's anything that I think community bankers need to take into account is exactly what you just said. It's the ability to adapt and you are going to have to go to action right away with imperfect information and you cannot hesitate. It is the one thing when I have conversations with um, uh, particularly the OCC around their, you know, their innovation uh, group, it's we, we all are so amazed on how fast it is moving. And so yeah. you just got to get in the stream and start swimming with it. Um, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to learn, but you've got to engage in it. Um, and there's no time like the present. So exactly. Fantastic. Joanna, before we let you go, I'm just going to, as my daughter would say, I'm trying to find out what's the tea or spill the tea, as she would say. What's uh, how do you see that? What's the gossip or how do you view this? Uh, the Biden administration and the tone at the top in terms of the regulatory agencies coming our way? Yeah, that's a great question. The Biden administration and also the new Congress, uh, particularly with Democrats in the lead in the Senate and our new chairman of the Senate Banking Committee, Sherrod Brown of Ohio, uh, is very active in this space. You know, the biggest 
piece of the tone at the top, I think, is consumer protection and financial fairness and inclusion. I am sure we'll see very active enforcement and active regulation as well. I think something to be paying attention to is that in the, in the new leadership, it's not taken at all for granted that fintech is doing more good than harm. Despite what I said earlier about the my being optimistic about what it can do, I think that that there's a lot of thinking that the jury is out on this. We at Air are uh, asking people to share with us research that they may have on impacts of fintech um, to try to sort through what you know what's the record so far. But um, I think everyone working in the space should be thinking about how do you, my podcast with you, we called it FinTech for Good. You wrote a book on FinTech for Good. And, um, you know, how do we make sure that this will all be FinTech for Good? And the regulators are open-minded on it, but they they are going to be holding people to a high standard. Yeah, as well as they should. And so, again, uh, authenticity will um, will be the end. And so, well, Joanne, thank you so much for being a guest today on The Next Gen Banker. Um, your insights into the regulatory schemes and the technology side, as well as the climate um, and, and the fairness issue, the inclusion have been fantastic. And again, I think one key takeaway that I, I would just reiterate of what you mentioned if you're in the banking space, your ability to change and learn and adapt quickly, you've got to be tech forward and do it. Um, so action is required. So Joanne, thanks so much for being with us today. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me, David. I really enjoyed it. For this episode's musical feature, we are showcasing Ben Kyle. Ben is a Minneapolis-based singer-songwriter who has been described by the Huffington Post as a sleeping giant. He is an award-winning songwriter who has worked with Ringo Starr, Ryan Adams, and Lucinda Williams, amongst others. Here is Ben's song, Thank You, from his 2017 self-titled album. Thank you for the way you make a feeling real Rolling through my heart like a Ferris wheel Thank you for a pretty little laughing heart Thank you for the way you make your light shine In between the shadows in the back of my mind Thank you for the children and the love I've found Thank you for my heart Thank you for my heart Let there be light Let there be light Let there be space That was Thank You by Ben Kyle. Hear more of Ben's music at benkyle.com. If you would like your music featured on the Next Gen Banker podcast, email nextgenbankerpodcast at gmail.com with a link to your music and website. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Banker podcast, and we'll see you soon.